All right. How, how, how we doing, baby boo? Uh, I am A-OK. I, uh, I'm at Cove Crest. I interviewed our farmer, Jesse Street, on, uh, what was that, Monday night or Tuesday night? It was a great interview, but I am on camp Wi-Fi in rural northern Georgia, So, and I had to record RNs using the Skype thing. So our Skype call is super wonky, so I just wanted to give myself a little bit more time to uh, to be able to edit the show so it sounds nice and and, and good and stuff. Um, but that was uh, Jesse Strait at WiffletreeFarmVA.com. It was super fascinating because he Dang became... <clears throat> what? Uh, no, I'm just bummed that it, I'm bummed that it was good. Well, it was, <laughs> it was super fascinating because he became a Catholic on Easter Vigil, and then the next day became a full-time farmer. <laughs> I mean, it was it's like a wild story. And his conversion, I mean, it's not like a wild story, but his conversion is as cool as his farming stuff. And so, yeah, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. We had a good conversation. So I'm excited to kind of plow through some of the stuff. He felt like he was a little nervous that he was ragging on Protestants too much. He didn't at all, but he asked if I could, like, send him that segment. And I tried to in our terrible camp Wi-Fi, and uh, it just took forever. So I was like, forget this. We'll do that next week. <laughs> well, thank you for covering uh, me on yes. that. I, I apologize. I, I felt really bad that I wasn't able to make it, but it was just... What what happened with the house stuff? So you were closing on your house and all so, that good stuff. Yeah. Then- so here's so here's what happened. Uh, we ended up closing on Friday, so that was very exciting. And then I ha- had family in town, which was awesome. Hung out with Emily and Christina, and my niece Charlie, and Christina's boyfriend Mark, who's awesome, and of course Aaron. Um, but with having like everyone in town, having a new house, all this stuff, it was like I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to record. So I was like, I, there's just, and then ended up being kind of in, in kind of crazy because we had uh, moved some stuff up to Dayton. So we were kind of hanging out at, at, at our new house there. Um, very glad I did not end up driving back down to date down to Cincinnati because it would have, because it would have left Aaron and our two dogs a, alone to deal with uh, a bunch of tornadoes. Wow. So that was wow. fun. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard so about you like, are, what's been going on? No, I I mean I haven't seen a television screen in six days. How free do you feel? A thousand times freer than anyone who has ever been free. <laughs> like the Emancipation Proclamation was just read to my brain. I literally walk in 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 beautiful rolling hills of the Appalachia here at Cove Crest. The most beautiful trees. My kids playing in a field with all these other kids and young adults. And I'm not doing youth ministry, so this is like a week. It's not a camp week. It's a training week for young adults. So I don't have to deal with any of that nonsense relational ministry crap where I have to <laughs> give up my heart to people. It's like, oh, I have I to just... hear you blab about how tough adolescence is. Oh, we get it. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> and so uh, so I'm just I'm essentially here to give talks, and then they're going off to be trained on all their different stuff. And my and they're you know, these young adults that come to the, the Cove Crest, right? They're like super amazing people. They're like what you were at Steubenville. Yeah. And uh and they're so sweet to my kids, right? So my little Cecilia who's anxious about everyone's like, Daddy, I've made so many friends and Kateri thinks she's twenty five years old and all that <laughs> stuff. And so it's really been in a lot of ways it's been like me and Noah and Thomas and Shannon and then our girls are with these are with these young adults. It's just been super sweet. 
and there's great families that live here year-round or just for the summer, and so they've become um, fast friends if, if the kids are playing and stuff. Oh, so, that's great. Uh, so tell me, what has been going on in, in Dayton with the weather? So uh, there was an F of, there was an F four tornado that hit. Whoa! And a and a couple other ones as well on two on two main on two main areas going uh, um, like east and west as opposed to north and south. Uh, yeah, dude, it's pretty bad. Uh, Dayton, there's a, a um, it's a state of emergency right now. They're gonna have FEMA there if, if not already. Um, I've seen some of the, so our house is completely fine. Um, I woke up to the phone doing the whole like, like uh, alert noise thing, mm-hmm. and it said take uh, take cover now. I was asleep, Aaron. Oh, Aaron, I was awake, so it was just us and our dogs. And our dogs, we don't, we didn't really, I mean, we hardly have anything there, so we probably have like, you know, like half of our living room. And uh, so we just uh, grabbed the dogs and their beds and our pillows and our blankets, and we went down to the basement. And it was insane because if we had if we had the blinds open, we probably would have been able to like we 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 probably would not have had to turn on any of the lights in the house because the lightning was so intense. Oh yeah, man! Like freaking strobe lights outside your window. Yeah, for just a solid half hour, a lot of heat wow. lightning. Uh, I, I think I texted like uh, like um, all, all the guys in our little like uh, WhatsApp group that I, I would have stared out the window and just and just like I'm um, looked at all of the lighting had I not been in my boxers and it would have seemed really creepy to anyone who saw it. <laughs> or, Dude, when stuff like that happens, that's I open up the well, we have a huge uh, or not really huge, but a long window in our bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I the last time it happened and my wife was. I think she was awake. I just opened up the blinds. And just, and just stand there the unnaked. Just stand there naked, <laughs> singing, surprisingly enough, the Star Spangled Banner. Nature! With, like, your hands up, and there's, like, a, a lightning just crashing everywhere. And then all of a sudden, you go into a, 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 a lives, a, 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 a lightning crash. <laughs> there. The angel <laughs> opens her eyes. Pale blue colors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. How did you know? Did I have the webcam on? <laughs> but the, I mean, really, probably the only reason why I didn't really like stare at it was one. I think Aaron would have gotten very, very angry at me, and two, because it was a tornado that was coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, if the wind got bad, it would have you know stuff could have blown blown through the glass and and cut my precious little body. <laughs> not my Luke, not my precious Luke. <laughs> yeah, that we had a we had a uh it wasn't a tornado. It was like whatever's right beneath a tornado. In Oklahoma we call them gustados, but I'm pretty sure no one else would respect us if I said that out loud. But um it blew through our, my friend's house the Borks in Sugarland. And um uh, was it that or was that the hurricane? It might have been a hurricane. And it, yeah, oh, it was the hurricane. Never mind, not a gustado. But uh the winds were sub hurricane level I think at this point. And the neighbor had put up a plywood board over their bedroom window. That was right where their bed is. And because the winds hit at like 2 o'clock in the morning, they were both like out of their bed and listening to the wind screaming. And like a freaking 2 by 4 went straight through the plywood, through their window, and, and, and went into their bed. Like Holy right where cow. they would have been sleeping. Yeah. 
Holy cow! Yeah. Meanwhile, was, all I did was put uh, put uh, like duct tape in an X on my windows. <laughs> X gonna give it to you. X gonna give it to you. <laughs> well played, Luke. Well played. It's funny. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'll be honest. It was like thirty minutes of just crazy ass lightning, and I was trying so because we don't have internet at our house, and I had poor reception in our in our, our basement, poor um, cell phone signal. So I was trying to watch the news and i heard them say okay now we're about to have like a second one everyone you know like stay and then it just like cut out i was like well it would be good to know that so i was watch. i was trying to uh follow t- twitter and then i started to tweet and aaron was like don't do that and i was like all right <laughs> um, Luke, this is not always for the world to join you in your spectacle of shame and i was like aaron yeah. the reason why we have a house is that i think the whole world oh uh, I want to know about the things that I do and think. So, <laughs> Luke, uh, and we do. And speaking for the world, which I often do, we do, Luke. We want to know. Thank you. So, yeah, it was, I mean, I, I wasn't ever really scared. There was, because I just, um, it just, like, where, so where we live is on a hill. And I know that, Tony, that it's kind of a myth that, from what I understand, that, tornadoes can't like fall on like on where there's like on on where there's hills and stuff but it's not the most i mean there hasn't been a tornado there that has touched down as far as i know i mean at least in my lifetime this is where i like i grew up so i I wasn't really nervous about it uh i was i'm worried about like um, what was going to happen and then and then it all started to creep like you know as I woke up the next day and started hearing uh, on what had happened, it was pretty nuts. Like, yeah. there's been a lot. Um, I was I drove up to Columbus on Wednesday and saw trees completely uprooted out of the ground. Um, there were signs, you know, like highway exit signs that had been completely de- destroyed. Um, it's very unnerving to see stuff that you know you see day in and day out and think are are that are incredibly sturdy to see it just completely uprooted. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like the Catholic Church. Um and uh Aaron had a really hard day today cuz with her job she just hammered all the stuff that is going on and she ended up like um she saw a lot of it and it was just I think it was just really difficult for her and it's we're I mean we are very lucky. We could it could have we could have been like two and a half days into owning a house and if like this storm is like five miles five miles like south of where it hit, our house could have gotten destroyed and it's nuts, man. Ugh. It's nuts. Can you imagine that? when we bought our house in Conroe, there was like this series of torrential rains mm-hmm. that there was flash flooding all around us. And I was like, damn it, we're going to lose our house to flood damage like a week after we bought this stupid thing. This is why I can't have nice things. Are you real? God, no. Um, <laughs> it is interesting. I, I'm going to try to show go. yourself. <laughs> show yourself. <laughs> who are you and who am I? Luke, there's a tornado. Just try to go to sleep. <laughs> oh, okay, Yahweh. Um, no, but I, I, I do want to. Um, it's, it's, it's always interesting because I think like everyone. Um, wants to help right now during anything like this. And there's like tons of people doing all this great stuff, but when it's going to get hard is in a month, a month and a half from right now, you know, they have plenty of water. They have a lot of things that, I mean, I'm not saying that like everyone has water. I'm saying the people who supply it have tons. 
you know, but the hard part is going to be um, in a month, a month and a half from now. So I think on the podcast, I want to try to do some type of like at least oh, like one episode, just like a, hey, here's if you want to help. Here's a thing that, you know, um, you can go do since Aaron works at St. Vincent DePaul. Uh, yeah, it's just it's weird to see this happen to your hometown, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely weird. So. I'm that's sorry, been buddy. my week that's okay it's i mean it's i mean we are we are very lucky there are people who are definitely not like the place where i were like back in the day i went to a lot of um oh gosh what was there so it was called Hera arena it was like back in the 80s and the you know early half of the 90s it was dayton's big event place so i think i saw like wwf um show there one time which apparently was very trashy um, <laughs> I only remember like a few parts of it, and like you know, you would have like big things, like huge concerts would be there. I think, I think that my mom saw Kiss there play back in the day. Um, nice, just the roof totally blown off, and totally just not gone, but pretty much de- destroyed. And it's just kind of weird because it's like a kind of like a Dayton institution. Yeah, yeah. So man alive, man yeah, alive, yeah, tough. Very That's tough. a rough week, man. So but, we hey, got a congrat. Wait, hold on. Before that, mm. congratulations on the house. Oh, I'm thank glad you. That it's okay. How are the dogs doing that. during the lightning storm? Um, th- we Aaron gave them trazodone, so they were great. We we, <laughs> we 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 have a joke with our one dog, um, Sienna, that that she's just like trazodone, yeah. Let's watch some Pink Floyd and play the Wizard of Oz, yeah. <laughs> Trazodone. And oh, then man, that is awesome. Uh, th- um, that's like the blonde haired dog that has a, like a whole lot of attitude. And then our small black dog that is super hyper. It uh, it only makes her shits take like twice as much, slightly less hyper. <laughs> and so <laughs> when there was, you know, all, it was kind of interesting to see how she reacted to it because um, you really couldn't hear anything. It was just the lightning. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of um, noise, but you could tell that she was like, "Like this is not right, this is bad," and she was terrified. So she just up, I'm gonna nuzzle herself like right into my chest. Oh, and I was like, "Screw people who say that dogs are like a contraceptive mentality." (laughs) (laughs) This is cute. This dog's a person. (laughs) Oh wait, (laughs) Zora. Yeah. yeah, so that's a crazy week. For me, um, I came up to Covecrest. Uh, we decided we were all ready because my wife is a psychopathic list maker and preparer. So when I came home from work on Friday, we had we always do Gormley Family Movie Night on Friday, and we eat pizza and celebrate good times. Come on. And uh, like I was like, honey, we're, we're ready. Let's just leave. So packing and getting everything going and the kids going, we left at like 8 o'clock at night, and we just drove to Baton Rouge, Louisiana from Houston, crashed at a place right off the highway, got on the car, drove uh, the rest of the way. Now, you have to understand one thing. On Monday, my wife said, or on Sunday, my wife said, we are going nowhere until you take the van in to get figured out what needs to get figured out, because our power steering was going out, and... I had taken it in a month prior, and they gave they did eighteen hundred dollars worth of work on it to make it drivable, 
and then said, we found about $3,000 worth of more work that needs oh, to be done. Oh, boy. And I'm like, of course you did. What do I need to do right now? And they said, nothing, but you need to come in soon. So we use this as an opportunity. You should okay. probably whore yourself on the street in the meantime. Because yeah, this is going to cost an arm and a leg and a piece of ass. So I go out and uh, I go and I take it to the place and I said, now you, you guys wrote down the list and we went through the list together what needed to be done. And I was like, yes, rack and pinions here. I said, and it vibrates when I'm driving and I don't want, I don't want it, that vibration anymore. And she said, okay. So then she calls me up and she says, hey, your tires are pretty worn. Uh, our our guy, we're almost done with the service. Our guy suggests you get new tires, front two tires. And I said, that's great. That's fine. Um, I said, are they drivable right now? Because I'm dropping $3,500. I said, is it drivable right now? And she said, oh, yeah, you can go. He said, it's just at that beginning part where we recommend new tires. So she said, you could go from, uh, you know, to Atlanta and, and probably back. And I said, well, they do have a Walmart there that I can get a change if I need to. But... Um, and she said, yeah, yeah, that should be fine. Lies, damned lies, and ugly lies. Whatever they did oh, to my no. car, whatever they did to my car, it had this vibration that wasn't just when you were going fast. It was kind of like constant. And I was like, no, I'm reading into it. No, this is, you know, whatever. I'm so stupid. Why do I do this? We drive to Baton Rouge, and the steering wheel is vibrating, but not horrible. Luke, I am in the middle of rural frickin' Georgia. An hour and a half from our buddy John's house. And the st- steering wheel is vibrating so hard. Number one, I have my hands turning the wheel left at like 10 o'clock just to keep it going straight. And it oh, is man. shaking. The whole the whole cabin is shaking. And, and you I, have I just, your kids in the car, right? I got my little kids in the car. We are filled to the brim. And I look at Shannon and I say, we're an hour and a half out from John, but I don't feel safe anymore in this car. So I was like, pull out your phone right now. The vibrating is getting worse and worse and worse. So she pulls out. She finds this place. I call him up, and this guy's like, yeah. And this is now Memorial Day weekend. My service center back home in Conroe, they are closed until Tuesday, so they can't help me out. And I'm like, son of a gun. Everyone's going to. It's 530 on a, a Saturday night. You know, like, come on, or Saturday evening. So this guy's like, oh, yeah, bring your car on over here, son. It'll be good. I pull up. Luke, it's the most podunk, off-the-grid maintenance place I have ever seen in my life. It's just a bunch of guys who are like good old boys, mm-hmm. and they're just walking around. Only one guy's a mechanic, but they all just kind of talk to you. And they all and, know uh, like how it works. They're yeah. kind of there. <laughs> yeah, and their parking lot is just totally destroyed, and I'm like going up and down on this gravelly parking lot with huge divots in the road the guy only takes credit card or only takes cash no credit nothing traceable right <laughs> so he finally an hour and a half of my kids outside complaining it's super hot he finally looks at my car and he goes oh i know what this is you got a knot in your tire and i was like i got a what and he goes let me jack it up he said jacks up put it in neutral so i put it in neutral and the tire starts spinning a little bit and he goes, put your hand right here and just kind of go back and forth. And I put my hand right there. And it felt like a, like there was like a softball inside my tire. And he's like, every time, your, every time your tire rolls over that knot, it shimmies a little. And you do that at 60 miles an hour, it shimmies a lot. And I was like, well, do you have a tire to replace? And he goes, no, I don't have anything. And I don't know anyone that's open. And I go, can I drive this to Woodstock, Georgia? And he goes, if you don't go over 50 miles an hour, you can. Luke, 
I drove through oh the my most gosh. the busiest freaking city in America in terms of highways. Go in the right lane, going fifty miles an hour, and just loved up, loved up, loved up, loved up. It was. It felt like I was driving on the rim. That's how it felt. It oh, was that's nuts. so nerve wracking. I get to I get to our buddy's house. We, you know, whatever, we're fine. We get there two hours after. It's seven thirty. Kids, we have a blast. Everything was great. We hung out till like one o'clock in the morning. Wake up. It's Sunday. I go off to Walmart which is like another 25-minute drive up and down hills. <laughs> yeah. um, I get there. The place opens up at 8, and I'm like, this will be great. We'll take the thing in. It'll take him like an hour, maybe two hours. I'll get the car. We'll go to Mass. It'll be perfect. The guy shows up at 8.15, walks out, old, angry mechanic at Walmart, oh. and he's like, damn people. And I was like, hey, sir, how you doing today? And he goes, how am I doing? I'm doing awful. No one else showed up to work. It's just me. Well, I ain't putting up any car. I'm not putting any car up in the air unless other people show up. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So then he pulls out that little handy dandy phone Your friends thing. don't come here to hang out with you while you're working? Yeah. You got to meet Mr. Willoughby, a Willoughby's auto and wrecker service. Um, and he goes, uh, he goes, uh, so I'm like, do, do you think you can do this? He goes, well, it would take me about an hour. He said, but I don't have any help, and I'm not going to do this by myself. I was like, oh, shit. And oh, then uh, so he goes man. through, and then he pulls out his little handheld computer thing to, like, scan my VIN number, do whatever he does. And then the computer, because it's really hot, apparently the things, like, sketch out. And he's like, I'm about to throw this damn thing into the parking lot. And I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> so finally he takes it, and I go, Sir, I know you can't predict the future, but do you have any idea when this is going to be ready? And he goes, uh, I'll tell you what, they'll give you a call when it's done. How does that sound? And he just walked away. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a wonderful day. <laughs> getting my buddies, getting John's car. We shoot back to the house. Our wives go to the mass. Uh, we stay with the kids. And then I get a call right before, the kid, right before my wife left that the car was ready. So they go to Mass, get the car, bring it back to the house. And Luke, the craziness begins to ensue. So I got two brand new front tires. After spending $3,500 at a dealership to get my car fixed. And uh, they're like, you should be fine now. So I get in the car. It's time to go to Mass. I feel a slight vibration, but nothing too bad. I'm like, maybe the vibration from before caused these problems. Luke, this is insane. So we get to the house. We leave the van. We're done with mass. We're waiting. After dinner, it's time for us to go to Cove Crest. I get in the car. All these emergency things turn on. My damn tire, brand new tire, is 100% flat. Or it's, <laughs> it's, it's like half flat. Yeah. So then yeah. John pulls out his air compressor, fills it up with air, and says, good luck. I drive up to <laughs> Cove Crest <laughs> on the world's most windy, mountainous uh, yeah, route. Yeah, We get there. We park the car. We're fine. The air, t- the air stayed in the tire. It was fine. Wake up the next morning, uh, drive to the Walmart in Clayton, Georgia, and they go, okay, we'll check everything. I think it sounds like your valve core is loose. So the guy comes over, and he puts his valve core wrench in there, turns it. Perfect. He goes, yep, yep, yep. It was loose. I just need to do about a quarter turn, and now it's good. So they check all the tires, sir. There is a slight vibration in your car because your rear tire has a knot in it. Three tires develop knots in them. I had the worst luck. So they replace the tire, balance all of my tires, do all of this stuff, alignment, everything. 
It's finally running like a dream. It's normal. Park it. The next day, my wife and I are going to go to Goats on a Roof, which is this gimmicky place down in, in Clayton. We're going to do all this stuff with our kids. I walk out. The tire is flat. <laughs> Your the life frickin sucks. tire is flat. <laughs> I have to get the maintenance people at Covecrest. I have to go run, give a talk, do a men's session, which we all know. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Then, One, then I born. Get... Two, dad. Three, anger. Done. Car. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth, auto maintenance. Learn it, kids. Uh, <laughs> and so I go. They air up my tire. <laughs> they air up my tire. And I drive to Walmart. And I'm like, listen. And yes, I do have the $10 roadside assistance tire thing. And they're like, no problem. We'll look at it. I tell them everything wrong. And it was a leak in the the stem, the valve stem, the seal inside the tire was leaking. And so they patched it, redid everything. It took another 45 minutes. My kids are having a nuclear meltdown. Get them home. Now, the last two days, tires have been fine. This trip to Covecrest for one week of vacation with my family has now cost me $5,000 in, in car repair. <laughs> oh, my God. In car repair. Luke, that is... I might as well have bought another car. Yeah. No, truly. You truly and, and should have. <laughs> and two months ago, I spent $1,800 on this beast. Do if you still owe money on it? No, 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 no. That's, That's why I did it, because I don't want a car payment ever in my life ever again. And so we're here at Covecrest. We're having fun, Luke. I'm giving talks. It's everything is, everything is nice. It's fine. Well, at least you're, oh. I can't wait for self-driving cars. <laughs> like, do you ever stop and think about how much money we put into our cars? And 95% of our ownership, we don't even use it. It just sits at our house. Yeah. It's just such a, oh my gosh, it is a complete waste of money. They really are. They really are. But man, they are fun when you can drive them well. Yeah. Yeah. Are you into cars? Were you ever into cars? No. Do you ever no. do the car I, thing? I, I don't care. I mean, I like, I'm more into nice, in, um, I enjoy a good uh, in interior. I couldn't tell you anything about anything. I, I just it just does nothing for I me. I used to be so into sport trucks. I remember, yeah, I remember you talking about that stuff. For like, how out of nowhere that? you would just like all of a sudden be like, well, blah 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 blah. I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> what chubby little homeschooler? You like cars? <laughs> No, it's just so funny because it's not like you talked about it a lot. Yeah. It's just whenever it would get brought up, you would just have this wealth of information. <laughs> and it'd be like, huh. And then just you huh. never talk about it again. <laughs> I know. The funniest thing is I remember when I got the fully nerd out, I was sitting on the couch with our buddy Ben Hickman. And we were playing that Xbox, the original Xbox. We were playing a video game called like Evo 4x4. And you just, it's the worst graphics in the world, but you just drive a 4x4 around, you know? And we would, and you could get different cars and different things. And I would just start talking about this stuff. And I remember Ben, who's like a man's man's man. And he like turns and he looks at me and he goes, You know about trucks? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, yeah, I'm like really into that stuff. (laughs) Lift kits. Slamming them down, low riders, everything in between. I'm into that stuff. I, I used to get Sport Truck Magazine. I had a subscription for three years when I was in high school. <laughs> I even had to write a change of address for to the Sport Truck Magazine people when I moved from Oklahoma to uh, Texas. <laughs> That's so funny. 
Because <laughs> it's funny too. Because it's not like a thing that you were like telling the world about, which is how you right. are with. I mean, that's how like like we both are about most things. It's just this like one literally everything. Yeah, literally just... everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I um. I think I'm growing up. By the way, speaking of things that we are really in, into, I'm um, I'm I'm in this Facebook group uh, for the Labeled Podcast, which is a podcast on the history of Tooth and Nail Records. Oh, that's by awesome. one of the guys in Emory. Yeah, it's really it's actually a phenomenal podcast, and I've only gotten choked up at like two different parts because it just like <laughs> reminds me so much of my youth and just all the fun that we had with all that stuff and. And how important it was to me then and now even. But uh, and there was this one thing where they were like, um, what's your favorite um, What's your favorite side band to ever be on? I'm a tooth and nail. So, of course, I said Brave St. Saturn. And I was like, they had only had like one album, but it was great. And this guy's like, oh, they had three albums. And he like had a picture of like each one. And and in my head, I was like, "You mother effer! I know more about this than you than you do." <laughs> so I just responded. <laughs> I just meant they only had one album on um, "Tooth and Nail," and he goes, "Oh, did you enjoy the other the other uh, two albums?" And then then I thought, "Yeah, I had a I, I had a song from each album played at my wedding," but I didn't respond. I just let it go. <laughs> God, I just I had two from those two other albums he was talking about. I just realized this as I said it out loud. I had a song of one was like both of the communion hymns were Brave St. Saturn songs. What really? Yeah, the um, one was um, one was Gloria, which is probably my favorite. I mean, it's there are better Brave St. Saturn songs, but I think it just holds a special place in my heart because of um, when it came out. And two was. Invictus, which is one of my other one of the favorite ones. Oh, that's so funny! I don't think I realized that. Yeah, Will Griffin I, played I'm, that. Yeah, yeah, he did a good job too. He was like, "Dude, I remember he was so mad." He goes, "Do you know how high he sings these?" And I was like, "Sorry," because <laughs> he's got a high voice. That's so funny. Brave Saint Saturn. Yeah, the band of Five Iron Frenzy recomposed. Oh yeah, to sorry, do everyone. This music. How funny is that? Yeah, it's so it's like it is a side band of uh, the lead guy. For, like five iron with a um, couple other um people because he was starting to write these he got dumped by his fiance and he, he he wrote a bunch of songs about it felt like they didn't really fit the ska sound so he created this band called brave saint saturn kind of is a concept album tells the story of this group that goes out into space and almost dies and then comes back and blah blah blah, blah. it's very emotional and sad yeah, it is very emotional. The we've talked about this before, and I played clips of it. I can't remember when. You got to search it at catchingfoxes.fm. But uh, the lyric that is about the fiance is called the song's called Enamel, and he go Enamel <laughs> spread too thin. You're beautiful, but not beneath your skin. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a Christian way to break up with someone. Like <laughs> I'm not gonna call you all of these names. I'm not gonna try to cut your truck tires and. <laughs> With a knife or anything like that. I am just going to say, you know what? You are beautiful. I'm still going to affirm you, but then twist the knife. <laughs> You're hollow like your wedding bells. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and yeah. when you hear this song, I hope it hurts like hell. Yeah. <laughs> Here's to me. Yeah, that's it. Here's to me saying fare thee well. And when you hear this song, I hope it hurts like hell. 
So funny. <laughs> so Luke, Luke, that was some fun John Boy and Billy BS. Yeah, that was a good half hour of that. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, America. Catholic so, America. Yeah, so uh, I don't know about y'all, but I am on every Word on Fire email. Every single email address I own is somehow involved in a Word on Fire marketing stuff. So I get every morning at like 6 a.m., whenever they trigger the release of their email client, uh, all of a sudden my phone gets the same email three times. And um, this one was on this new book called Letters to Letter to a Suffering Church that Bishop Barron wrote. Um, in order to be Bishop Aaron as an evangelizing bishop and just write to the church in America, acknowledging the suffering, kind of doing a little like, how did we end up here? What's going on kind of thing? And how do we respond? Um, it's very heartfelt. It's from the heart. He keeps saying that in French, which is kind of annoying, but whatever. I could never, or whatever. And I'm like, all right, just say from the heart. Um, but uh, so I reached out to Brandon Vaught. Um, everyone on my parish staff was like, I want to read this. I want to read it now. So I reached out to Brandon and I just said, hey, man, could I call in a favor? You don't owe me anything, but I would love to read this book because I said, just to give you a little background, the the scandal episodes, plural, that we've done now have really like resonated. And I said, and we even got this email from these dudes in Australia at this diocese where the guy played to the bishop and I think the chancellor, the bishop and someone else, a part of our podcast for 15 minutes and said, this is how I feel. And I just want you to listen to it. And then the bishop listened and said, that's how I feel as well. Like, okay. And so I just said, Brent, I would love it if we could get this book, like just shoot, shoot me a PDF and read through it. And he, and then I said, like, you know, at, at my parish, we're trying our best to respond. We even have a page called Restore, uh, ap.church slash restore, where we just, anything we do that we feel like is applicable to the scandal, um, we do it. You know, we did our town halls. We have that stuff all there. And he wrote back a very nice email, probably an hour later. And he just said, he's like, Gomer, actually, Catching Foxes was on our list to send out, but Bishop Barron's not doing any interviews. So we didn't know if you'd want it. Um, nope. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, confirmation season, whatever. Um, but no, so he he's like, he, it's attached. Don't share it with anyone else, but um, please review it if you can, if you want to. And I, ha my wife, today was perfect, the perfect day to do it. I went to the Life Teen offices, got them to print it out for me, mm -hmm. and I just sat down in this back room in this, in this beautiful St. Rita's family lodge that they have, and... I read it all the way through. Um, it's 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 fairly short. It's uh, uh, five chapters and a conclusion. Chapter one, the devil's masterpiece. Two, light from scripture. Three, we have been here before. Four, that um, was interesting. Why, yeah, why should we stay? And five, the way forward. And then he ends the whole thing with like a three-page prayer for a suffering church that I thought was really beautiful. I mean, address justice, um, you know, healing and consolation for the victims and everything in between. Um, and I wanted to know, like, Luke, what, what would you think of this book? And so we're going to push the Jesse straight Wiffle Tree Farms interview probably to next week so that me and you can kind of talk about this. Yeah, um, I um. so full disclosure, as I want to do, I only was able to really skim it uh, just due to uh, the craziness of moving and whatnot had to spend an hour tonight at spectrum that was fun um 
so and then had then like Aaron came home, we kind of had to like uh, you know talk about all of the crazy stuff that like sh- you know like that is going on uh, up yeah. in Dayton. So I I, I just want to be very clear that I really I had a half hour, <laughs> so I'm sorry until I had everyone. Um, wh- what was that? What was your first impression? You know, and skimming it and going through it. Um, I really like the way that he exposed the ugliness of the church throughout history. Yeah. Um, it, it's not an apology in a, in the sense of like we've always been bad. Sorry, everyone. It's just kind of like let's put this in some. And I think he always does a really good job of this historical context. Yeah. Um, he tells the story of I believe it was Pope John the Twelfth. Who had tons of affairs and died having sex, I believe. You know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I think it was John the Twelfth, where like you know he was either uh, he was either killed or he had like a stroke slash hemorrhage. Um, and I like that he like brutally like goes into some of the like terrible things that like priests have done. How they talk about, and, and I really um liked how he talked about how this one saint I forget who it was talked about how when priest were grooming other like places you know, like this has happened before almost where priests were like they were um they were like abusing boys and young men and this one um saint was trying to bring it to the pope's i believe it was the pope trying to bring it to his yep. attention and called it and called it incest because you have this father who is harming his sons people he's responsible for. I was like, that was, and I'd really um, like that he, he owned it. I, I don't think that in anything he said with like the, like how to go, how to move, how to, um, how to move, um, move forward. Uh, when he talked about that, I don't think he said anything that was really revolutionary or new, but I think he, he affirmed everything that we were thinking. And that's really important. And I yeah. and and when I say um when I say like um we I mean the church as a whole people who have been talking about this so I think what he's done with this book is he has given credibility to everyone's frustration and hope on how to move ahead with this and I think that's really important yeah. Yeah, so he was talking about St. Um, Peter Damien in the chapter, We Have Been Here Before. And he says, um, in 1049, Peter, who was at the time prior of a hermitage in Umbria, composed a letter to Leo the Ninth. So it's interesting because he's like, okay, look at St. Benedict of Nursa, the guy that founded the Benedictines, right? He said, he goes to Rome to be a priest and is so scandalized by the corruption, he goes to a cave in Subiaco. People come to him. And then from that cave, he starts the Benedictine monastery and then the monetary system. And then the world collapses into the Dark Ages. And it was the Benedictine monasteries that preserved the ancient world and the medieval world into the medieval world. And then you have uh, St. Peter Damien, who's writing, and he's talking about the corruption of these monasteries. And so he writes to Pope Leo IX, and he said... um, not to mince words, he got specific. The befouling cancer of sodomy is in fact spreading so through the clergy, or rather like a savage beast, is raging with such shameless abandon through the flock of Christ. 
And he said by sodomy, he didn't just, he meant a wide range of homosexual behaviors, but what particularly vexed him were acts of sexual predation by older clergy of younger boys and the lax attitude of those religious superiors who knew about such outrages yet did nothing to stop them. And then he has this epic phrase. I mean, listen to this. Listen, you do nothing superiors of clerics and priests. Listen, and even though you feel sure of yourselves, tremble at the thought that you are partners in the guilt of others. Those, I mean, who wink at the sins of their subjects that need correction and who by ill-considered silence allow them license to sin. And he said that because these offending priests would go to sympathetic confessors who would dismiss their sin. So he's pointing that at, um, at these confessor priests, but he said his greatest scorn was for the bishops. What a vile deed deserving of a flood of bitter tears. If they who approve of these evildoers deserve to die, what condign punishment can be imagined for those who commit those absolutely damnable acts with their spiritual sons? And that's where he called it spiritual incest. Like, his whole thing, mm-hmm. and, and this is the thing that Bishop Barron is, he's always careful to do this. He is a nuanced speaker, unlike you and I, who shoot out of both barrels. Damn straight. Like, what is it? <laughs> Ready, shoot, aim? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he said, he ends it by saying, now not one bit of this historical survey is meant as an excuse, much less a justification for the wickedness on, in, on display of the church today. What I'm trying to do is give you the wider context. If we feel like right now is uniquely horrific, Take a deep breath and realize we need a fight like St. Peter Damien. And, and, and yeah. Well, and this is where I think it gets very interesting. And he doesn't do this. I, 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 at least, and again, I just, I had to skim it. I right, did my right. best to try to read a bit from each chapter or to get a feel for what it was all about. Um, but I think he's leading you there perhaps, or it's kind of a, um, it's like a, like a, byproduct of of like all of this is to kind of ask the question uh what do you expect from your church because he, one thing that like he talks about is the need for reform and he talks about all the things that have been done post the Dallas like how hard it is to get into the seminary now. And like, I think it's something like here in like Cincinnati, they go through a, by the end, they'll have like 100, um, 100 psychological test. I mean, it is on like rigorous in terms of your, like they want to make sure that like, you're not going to like screw anything up too badly, you know, or do anything like this bad again. Um, uh, but so anyway, but sorry, I'm, I'm, getting a bit off track and like he talks about like things that people have done with it with you know in the charter post it and as response to uh you know the report coming out over oh um over the summer and i've experienced the, the same thing over at glen mary they you know they had a priest that ended up going to jail for stuff that he did and they've been very they've been really they've been incredibly rigorous and humble with how they've dealt with all of that and different past accusations and like, and they've really and talked about people like involved the lady. And I think that's, um, so why I bring all this up is I think like one thing that you kind of assess is what do you expect of the church and how do you, cause it like, um, she's horribly broken and always has been. 
And it's because it's, you know, it's, I, I just, I, I think back to like St. Peter, the like first Pope we had when, you know, he tells Christ, you were, you were the Messiah, the, you know, the, yeah, the, like you are the son of God. And then um, Christ tells him, you know, like, you know, he says, yes, blah, 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 blah. And then like two, like two paragraphs later, or, or sorry, two lines later, he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's a great like microcosm of, I think, what the church is in a weird way. This thing where like God is moving through it. God is working through it. They bring a uh, God to others and like others to God through her works and her presence. And there's this human side that really screws things up. And I don't think it's ever going to go away. And we have to accept that fact, which means we have to step up to make sure that when things do do go wrong, there we can have justice and those wrongs can be righted. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Especially. So he goes back, not just through church history, but um, in chapter two, light from scripture, he pulls out what I think was kind of masterful. So he talks about how Hophni and Phineas, the sons of Eli, uh, Eli was the high priest. They were priests, how they were sexually abusing the women who served at the temple. They were stealing the choice meats that people would bring in. And as I'm reading this, I'm starting to think about like the experience of hopelessness a victim must feel when they bring forth their complaint out of much trepidation and embarrassment and fear and anxiety, and they're rebuffed by the institutional church. Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, which happened a lot more often in the past, and it does now, even though it still happens now. Right, um, or you have this experience of the church in America doing what it thinks is right, and then all of a sudden the Cardinal McCarrick stuff comes out, and then a, the Vigano letters come out, and it's appeal to Rome, and you feel like now what is Rome propping up a pedophile and a, a, a pervert and a you know a manipulator and a coercer of these young men like. Is Rome is Rome letting this happen because of X, Y, and Z other reasons? And there is so much powerlessness. And I think that um, telling the tale of like Hophni and Phineas that he does in chapter two. So here were these people were abusing him, and then people complained to um, to uh, to the Eli the priest, and they're like, "You have to do something." And so you kind of Eli number one is kind of a jerk to begin with, but. Um, so Eli goes up and screams and yells at his sons. No, my sons, you must not do these things. It's a good, it is not a good report that I hear of the people. You're doing all this stuff. You're blaspheming, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're sinning directly against the Lord, but they didn't listen to him and he didn't do anything else. And it's like, it just sounds like, like you can hear these echoes of the victims come forward and a hand gets slapped. A priest gets moved. Things get shuffled and nothing really happens. And so how did God speak to this through Samuel, right? You know that famous speak Lord for your servant is listening. Mm -hmm. Bishop Barron points out that in the lectionary, it ends with that. But in the actual story, when the Lord speaks to the young Samuel, he says, I'm about to do something in Israel that will cause the ears of everyone who hears it to ring on that day. I will carry out in full against Eli, everything I have threatened against his family. That's it. <laughs> it's like, one or two verses later and he specifically says like i'm gonna kill his kids and i'm gonna destroy him <laughs> like oh damn and that's what he does and you think you sit here and you think about this um do, do you remember when i did the first town hall with my church yeah 
Um, like an idiot, I was so nervous. I stood there with an open Bible for like my 10 minute summation talk. And I just stood there with this open Bible and people were like, you know, you never read from the Bible. I was kind of waiting for something. And I was so nervous. I never did. The reason was I called an audible into my talk because I was going to read from the book of Hosea chapter four, where the prophet says, um, there's no knowledge of God in the land. There's no justice. No one does what is right. Everyone is a creator of evil. And, you know, he multiplies all these things. And he says, yet let no one contend. Let no one excuse. My contention is with you, O priest. And he just hammers the priesthood. And then he says, like priest, like people. And he's like, I will destroy you. I will destroy your mother, right, to the priest. And I, that was what I was going to lead with. And I thought, it sounds like I'm being too anti-priest. And that's never what I want to come across as. But at the same time, Bishop Barron's like, no, let's use these analogies. Let's use these stories from Scripture to talk about what happens when human sexuality is used for acts of violence, coercion, power differential, domination. And I, th- I honestly think he did a really good job with this. I think he did I mean, too. Yeah. Did you draw any lines between when he talked about um, McCarrick and how when people, when he abused people, when, you know, um, he fondled people and we did all these horrible things that a lot of these, the, like, a lot of these guys were like, where do I go? How do like, I don't even know who, like, who do I talk to? Who's like, yeah. do they, did they even know there was a people like a people like Nuncio in it? And then he had this other part, uh, a couple of people was like one or two chapters after that or so. And I, I don't, I don't recall exactly what, but talked about like the need for reform in the church. And I drew, I drew a um, link between those two things, like how bloated the church has become. And I think that this whole scandal, one of the things that I think we can that we can learn from this is how people is like, what are the consequences of a bloated bureaucratic institution, especially one with such responsibility that these guys who were, you know, abused by this monster, McCarrick. Where do they go? Who do they talk to? There are so like you would be amazed how um like all the things like at um diocese and stuff the people don't know how this works or like how because the church is just so bureaucratic and bloated now that they don't know how things work um where do they go who's responsible for what thing? It's too much. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like he he brought up McCarrick. Uh, on page nine. And this is the thing that I loved about how he opened it. So he calls it the devil's masterpiece, and he's very careful, nuanced, right? He says, listen, I'm not saying that human beings don't have responsibility here because I'm saying this is ultimately the devil's masterpiece. What I'm saying is, uh, you know, they, men, he had this great line. What was it? It was like, the sad thing was men were too willing to cooperate with, with the evil. devil. Yeah. 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 And I and he, again he uses the beauty things. He uses uh, this uh famous painting on the antichrist to show how here's this man speaking but the devil's behind him and if you look carefully like the devil's like left arm is going through this man's shirt and you know is gesturing with that. And I thought he did an excellent way of explaining um why Cardinal McCarrick like how 
evil it was that he did not just do this, but he advanced. And so he goes through like the grand jury report on page eight. The more I think about the grand jury report, the more BS I feel like it is. Like not that they made up stories, but almost all, there was only two cases that were after the 2002 charter. And it really does like in hindsight, like people were saying this from the very beginning. We even mentioned it, but it's like, Still, these abuses happened and very little was done with it. And the bishop showed a callous disregard for the victims and more regard for the offending priest. But now it's like, but why did that guy just release this you know, massive volume about things that, I mean, most of the men were dead now. You know, it just, it starts to bother me. But um, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't engage in any low-level petty apologetics um, he unleashes the fullness of it. You know, talking about that girl who got her tonsils removed and the priest raped her in the hospital, the other priest who got a girl pregnant and arranged for her to have an abortion, like mm-hmm. all this stuff. And then he goes into the McCarrick and he just, I mean, he is intense about what he says. Like, he talks about how McCarrick would, um, in his beach house, would intentionally invite one too many people than there were beds. So someone would have to share the bedroom with him. And then when he would force himself on him, uh, this is the line that I thought was perfect because it shows you that Bishop Barron is very keyed in to what people are saying because you and I even said stuff like this. Like he says, if anyone wonders why these young men didn't object, run away, or punch the cardinal in the face, he has to recall that these victims wanted more than anything in the world to be priests and that McCarrick was the one who had the absolute power to determine whether that dream would be realized or not. As far as they were concerned, he was the supreme religious authority in their lives. To whom could they complain? The Apostolic Nuncio, the Pope's American ambassador? They were afraid of even reaching out to him because they thought that they wouldn't be believed or would be chastised. And then he brings up the power differential of Harvey Weinstein and how these young actresses, they give their whole lives to acting. And here's this one man who stands in the way of their dreams. And it's like, I've literally spent, you know, 15 of my last 25 years focusing on this one thing, and this guy is in the way, mm-hmm. you know? And then he even says, Bishop Barron says, you know, um, just as bishop after bishop in the country quietly reshuffled abusive clergy from parish to parish, so it seems numerous bishops, archbishops, and cardinals, both in this country and in the Vatican, knew all about McCarrick's outrageous behavior and did nothing to respond to it, or rather worse, they continued to advance him up the ecclesial ladder, ecclesiastical ladder, from auxiliary bishop to bishop of a diocese to archbishop and finally to cardinal. And then he talks about even after he resigned, he still tried to be active. Mm -hmm. And this is the one subtle thing on page 12. He he uses the phrase uh, kingmaker. He says to be a roving ambassador for the church and a kingmaker in the American hierarchy. Again, while everyone knew about his disturbing and abusive tendencies. And that kingmaker phrase comes right out of Vigano's letters. Mm. I'm sure other people said that, but like that is that's he interesting. Never, yeah, he never mentions Vigano. He never throws a single bone to the letters. He never accuses Pope Francis because all of that honestly is still speculation and super confusing. But by saying that, you're like, okay, well, I mean, like at least you're acknowledging this conspiracy of silence and corruption in the church that. Mm-hmm let this man rise, you know? Well, and if there's anything that I got, I, that I got out of this as I'm okay. So this is a thought that I have right now is that the church is divine in like her, in her roots and, and in her nature. Right. Yeah. And, and like, that's why we don't leave. 
because of because of like Christ, because of Christ and who He is, and um, and what He did, and how the church is involved in that. That's why we. That's why we don't leave. But we cannot deny that she has a human part to her as well, and that like a um, human part is capable of grave evil. Yeah, and we have to acknowledge that and be involved with her. Be- like I me, mean, like it's the human side that can also do such great things and that God can work through and do amazing things. But the same is true that like we can do these evil, horrible um, things as well. And we have to acknowledge that we can't hold. And like he says, we can't, you know, he even tells priests, you know, your commitment is to Christ. And if it is any, and if you put anything else above that, whether it be like on the nice things, like luxurious life or even fame, like you're going to fall and you're going to cause a lot of damage. And I think the same thing goes for the lady as well. If you prop these priests up, if you prop these lay speakers up, if you, uh, if you um, make these, if you make anyone bigger than what they really sh- should be, that's going to lead to a lot of heartache and pain. Yeah. And even if you don't do that, you're going to have heartache and pain because that's like the church is always going to be messed up. It doesn't mean yeah. that we don't do anything about it, but we have to we have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Doing something about it starts with acknowledging that. Exactly. And, exactly. And yeah. You, yeah. You can't have true reform in the church if you're coming at it like a another social institution. Right? The church will always escape the death sentences of every age, you know, like mm-hmm. even in the history thing, he brings up the famous story of Napoleon or one of his lieutenants who says, you know, we will destroy the church. And the colonel's like, if priests and bishops haven't been able to destroy the church, surely you won't be able to, right? Like, yeah, if we haven't effed it up, surely no matter what, what your bombs are gonna, good luck with that. And it's, uh, what's the line from GK Chesterton? Like, in every age, someone, you know, pronounces the death of the church. But it's the church that uh, what was it that is is always the undertaker or something like that. Like the church is always it, it just it, it resurrects in every age and in every age it's dying. And yeah, I think we encounter um, the beautiful thing of like when Christ converts a heart and calls them to the priesthood. Like I think with our our guys from clerically speaking, I know they um, kind of ticked off some people and really like sparked deep discernment for other people when it came to that whole lay professional thing. And Father Anthony made like, should we be even encouraging lay people to join ministry stuff full-time? One of the things that was so fascinating about that conversation is those priests realize that to do deep ministry with their people, it has to cost them their entire lives. It can't just be nine to five. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the in the midst of the horror of priests who are careerists and who are lazy and who are sexually confused or they are, you know, all the, all the bad things, right? That there are these other priests who are there who are truly living the ideal of the priesthood and who are suffering deeply because of the wounds of their lax brothers. And... Yet they endure. And I feel like there is this beautiful movement of like, what did Bishop Barron say? He's like, um, 
he would talk about when he'd meet people, yeah, he countered anger, but mostly it was bitter tears. I would sense both a deep love for the church and a practically bottomless disillusionment with it. And that is one of the huge phrases that I think, for me as a layperson working for the church, is like disillusionment with mm-hmm. the clergy. Like, I don't think the clergy should be changed. I don't think all these celibate men should get wives. Lord knows how terrible their marriages would be, <laughs> right? Dysfunctional yeah. priests yeah. are not going to become functional husbands, right? Like, come on, let's let's be honest about that. Um, but this, and, and Bishop Barron says that at the end. He's like, I don't think we need to change the essence of the priesthood. It should still be celibate for men only, and we should endure. He said, what needs to change is his holiness. And I think he did a masterful job with that phrase from Second Corinthians chapter four, we carry these treasures in earthen vessels or clay pots or jars of clay, if you will. Um, rain, rain on my face. Sorry. <laughs> pollen, pollen on my face. Um, <laughs> but I think he did a really good job with that because he's mm-hmm. like, the moment you focus on the vessel and not the treasure, you've lost the whole point of the church. Yeah. And like, it, yeah. I, I just really like that he did because I feel like there's always this tendency to focus on the good and i'm i and i don't mean the good as in the true the good the beautiful i, I mean the, the the good as in let's only pay attention to the things that we like or yeah. that we find or that we find comforting yeah um and not the evil that can occur which like so there's this big thing when when the jubilee happened john paul ii encouraged people to like see like all the like all like all the humanities like biggest stuff and he included auschwitz in that because he said you have yeah. to be able i am i am i'm paraphrasing here you have to be able to take in like like the horror that we have done as well yeah. and I, I think that's kind of what he's doing here he's saying we, we have to look at the good of like who and what the church is we also have to see the bad to get the full picture because that's the only way that you can actually have real hope and really understand who and what who and what the who and what the church is is if you look at her when she falls and when she has fallen as well and to understand that she will continue to do so and then act accordingly yeah yeah he did a great job in chapter two so as i'm here i'm reading through the light from scripture where he's using all these old testament parallels um you know he, he goes through the story of sodom and gomorrah and he said, you know, scripture teaches us even through the appalling stuff. That's the point. It's meant to be appalling. It's meant to cause moral revulsion. So he says, you know, when the angels come to Lot's house in the city of Sodom, the men, both young and old, come to Sod, uh, come to Lot's house and demand to have their way animalistically with these, uh, you know, the three angels, the three male visitors. And Lot, his response was, don't do this thing. This thing is wicked. Come on. Okay, I got my daughters and they're virgins. Take them instead. And he's like, do, do you see this wickedness? Like, this is horrific. And it's appalling. This is what happens. This is how the story, this is the, the Godfather 1 and 2, right? This yeah. is the yep. teaching morality by showing you the consequences of immorality. And Dr. Hahn, I thought, gave a brilliant understanding of Lot's, like, why Lot did it. He thought it was Lot mocking those men. Of the men of Sodom, by, because the men of Sodom don't want women, he knew that his daughters would actually be okay. Bishop Barron doesn't try to interpret it that way. He just shows it like, that is horrible, that is appalling. 
how did we end up here, right? And then they escape the town, the destruction, fire and brimstone reigns to the point where Lot's daughters think they are the only people left alive. There are no other men. So what do they do? They get intentionally get their father drunk so as to have incest with him. Both daughters do. Both daughters get pregnant, and the names of their sons is Moab and Ammon or you know whatever, the, the, some of the chief enemies of Israel, the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so like these are all stories meant to illustrate this is what happens when sex goes wrong. It's good and it's powerful, but in the wrong context, it's like a fire that leaves your fireplace, right? Like I want my fire in the fireplace. I don't want it on my couch. When it's on my couch, we got a big problem. And so that's like, and then he does something that I thought was brilliant. And I'm not fangirling here. I'm fanboying here. Um, he, when he goes to the New Testament, he focuses on how Christ drew everyone's attention to children. Like children were you know, seen, not heard. They weren't even often allowed to speak in public. They weren't allowed to give testimony in court, any of that stuff. And Jesus pulls a kid into the middle of the apostles when they're all like, I want to be great in the kingdom. And he says, unless you become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Like this notion of like, here's a, here's a child. In one instance, it says like he took an infant and he says, the face of their angel is ever before my father. So it's like this notion that he just took the most discarded of the, like the most, the lowest level of society and just said, this is the highest in the kingdom. And then he says, and then he quotes the passage, it would, if you corrupt one of these little ones, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea than to do that. And I think Bishop Barron just delivered a hammer blow. Like, it's not just enough that here's these abusive people in the Old Testament, and here's sexual sins gone wrong, and here's sodomy, and here's sexual violence and coercion and manipulation. He then says, okay, O priest, who has hurt children, this is the radical message of the gospel and what children mean in the kingdom. And look at what you did. Hmm. While standing in persona Christi Capitum, you just destroyed them. And he goes at length, like, for now a lot of people, the face of God, who often is the face of the priest, is now the one who is disgusting and disturbing to them. And then he talks about the ripple effect that sexual abuse has. It's not just that child who was offended and had this horrible and disgusting injustice happen. It's then the rage of the parents who now leave the church. And it ripples out to their family and their friends, the parishioners who stop coming, you know, priests who have aspersions cast onto them just because they hug their niece, quote unquote, too long. And like, you know what I mean? Like this ripple effect. And he said, this is the perfect, at the age when the world needs the church's guidance the most, her moral authority destroyed. And so I thought it was great. I really did. I really did. I, I, I'm i happy this book exists. Me too. I'm happy that 100% yeah. of the prophets are going straight to good uh, victims groups and whatnot to help with people of these abuse. So again, I mean, Bishop Barron really goes for it. He, you know, The hard part is, like people have said to me, so how do I hold their feet to the fire? Bishop Barron says it. How do you hold the feet to the fire? And this is what he says. I kind of wish there was more. This is in the conclusion. He uses Lincoln, Illinois General Assembly, uh, a house divided itself, cannot stand. You can't have half a, uh, half a country that's slave and the other half free. 
And he saw that fighting slavery was equivalent to saving the American democracy. So to fighting corruption, we have to fight it like Lincoln. Like, And so these are the things he says. Write letters of complaint to your bishop. Insist protocols be followed. Report offenders. Pursue the guilty until punished. Refuse to be mollified by pathetic excuses. Above all, fight by a holiness of life, your own sainthood. Do a daily holy hour, regular mass, evangelizing, and works of mercy. After all, Jesus has already won the victory. Stay and fight for his church. And then he does a long prayer for the suffering church. I thought those were good, but I feel like I want a full chapter six of... Yeah, yeah. The, not not just why should we fight. Why should we stay? Chapter four, which was good. He gives six reasons, essentially... The church is the only one talking about God anymore. Um, you need grace. We need the Holy Spirit. Um, you need Christ, and you need the sacraments. And I loved all of those things. And he, and then the reform was all about, like, priests need to be holy, but priests don't come from a vacuum. They come from laity. Laity, you need to be holy, too. But then it was like, I want there to be a chapter 6 that's like, this is how we attack this. This is how you as lay people hold bishops' feet to the fire. This is how you have conversations with your priests. This is how we talk about it as a laity. Well, but I, I think the issue with that, though, is that's going to take time. I know. Like, but it's, it's just what I want. Because we're just, it's, I, I actually, and I know we are like over the hour mark, so we can stop here pretty soon. But I read this really interesting article on um, how Game of Thrones doesn't depict like women in a medieval society well. It actually takes a more, of a Victorian image of women yeah, totally. in their show, which I thought was really interesting. And I, I think there's this, um, because so I, so like why I bring that up is that the, like where, how we view like lay people and our role within the church. I, um, I kind of wonder if it's, if it is through the lens of modernity and we have to understand what, how to be on lay people in a post in a post Christian world, and that's going to take time for that to play out because it's just not a part of like it's just it's just not culturally there yet. So we kind of have to figure yeah. it out. I think by going, to, you know, I think one good one good place to go is the documents of like Vatican II and things like that. But I think that's just going to take it's going to take a lot of time because there's no um, it's not really ingrained in our culture. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if that's right. Yeah, he, just he pointed out, out so. No, he point he yeah, he pointed out that four billion dollars have been lost to lawsuits in America. You know, he's like, these could have gone to hospitals and churches and schools and works of mercy, but instead it's the payment of cover ups and it's just scandalous if that was the only statistic and you know, thirty six percent or whatever the number is are gonna leave the church or tempted to leave the church over this millennials and you know young adults the nuns are hemorrhaging out of the church all of this stuff um but you you step back and you take stock of like all of the horrible things that are happening and you realize that um the voice of god in the world in people's lives to bring healing is being silenced right like one of the greatest tragedies is we can't bring people to christ like they're dismissing it out of hand to the point where, in my mind, I like to imagine that Bishop Barron listens to Catching Foxes, and that one time when me and you Wink talked about twice, that, if you do, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
That'd be awesome if then the next word on fire, he's like, I'm winking. Uh, Twice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when me and you talked about that, John, what's his name? John Mulaney, the comedian oh, yeah, on yeah, Saturday yeah. Night Live. He brought that up. He yep. brings that up and he said what's, what like took me back was how the audience is like waiting for the joke. And the joke is like my mom thinks this Jewish woman as an adult is going to become Catholic. What was the line? He's like, um, to convert the, to the, Roman yeah. Catholicism. Yeah, he's like, can you imagine someone actually voluntarily choosing to become Catholic? Yeah. He says, it struck me that things have gotten so bad that the comedian needed no further elaboration or explanation to get his laugh. Yeah. And that's, boom. I mean, I laugh because of his timing, but, and like his cadence is just so great. But, but I just, I think that's, he's so right about that. Uh, that John Mulaney joke. It it I want everyone, every church leader needs to see that and understand that's how the bulk of millennials view you. Yeah. Ugh. 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 <laughs> so all in all, I kind of feel like he he wrote not a, not a playbook, but more of like a um a treaty like kind of here's where we are here's how we got here um it puts a lot of stuff into words i think we really need to see to understand all of this and i think i think he kind of gave us like the final word on um like all of that like the what the why the how all of those things so i i think and again I, I think he really kind of um, he gives this book gives weight to a lot of things that a lot of people have talked about, which I on about this topic, which, which I think is really good. Yeah. So, yeah. So thank you, Bishop yeah, Aaron. Thank you. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who want you to say more. I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who wish you would have addressed other things. But the reality is, Bishop Barron, you address the spiritual realities behind these things, the moral failures behind these things. But you didn't get lost in them, yeah. Uh, our buddy really so, yeah, yeah. Our, and I think the reason why he didn't get lost in them is because not a cynical thing. He's a bishop and he's to make money, right? Um, I think it's because he's so rooted in scripture that he sees this clearly, and he walks through so many different passages of leaders failing and yet God remaining faithful, and that though people are disillusioned by the temple system and the corruption and all of that stuff, that God still remains faithful to those individual people. And the way forward is not just, yes, we need better policies. And I do like what you said. This isn't a playbook. It's not like he's supposed to be here and write a 300-page critique of the USCCB's, you know, metropolitan model of confront, you know, whatever. I, I really do think that this is... It gives you good perspective without denying the evilness underneath. And it gives the church a good direction and the ultimate direction, which is I need to be holy. I need to support priests who I think are doing the right thing. And when I see bishops doing awful things as a layperson, I need to figure out a way to challenge their, their lies and I think, like the church in in the Netherlands, one of the worst churches ever, is going to be purified by the laity speaking out 
and the church in, you know, like all this stuff. My only fear is what we do is once we begin to speak out, we become subject to hobby horses and ideologues and the angriest among us, right? Like, mm-hmm. well, and that's the danger in all of this is if you, yeah. if, and I think this is what he does also here that that's really good is you cannot, you don't reject the church because of the evil that she does. You, you renew her. You know, it's oh, not that's through what Benedict did. That's what Ignatius of Loyola did. That's yeah. what Peter Damien did. And that's, and that's why that's I think, what Luke Carey is well, going to do. This is why I, th- I, th- I th- feel like Balthasar is right when he says we need to pay attention to the saints and to the church fathers. And we don't need to, to be looking to our like fad priest yeah. of the air. You know, I mean, it's good. They're, they're good. There's good coming out of it. But like, don't, those should not be your, your, you're like, we should like Saint, um, Today is the feast day of Saint Joan of Arc. She should yeah. be the hero of our time. Yeah. I love this uh, chapter four, I think it was. Why should we stay? He goes through a very von Balthasarian view of the cross. I skipped and over that because that was the one that I, I was like, I'm sure I'll, uh, yeah, so I'm bummed that I missed that. But it's, it's really good. Um, but what he does is. Like, this is what I love about him. He's an evangelist. So he even takes the church scandal in order to repropose the gospel. And this is what I tell people all the time. Like, Catholics haven't heard the gospel. So if, uh, I I wonder what this celebrity bishop is going to say about, you know, the suffering church. He's going to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. Because there's not another remedy for the broken hearts of men. There's not another remedy for the disease of sin and the cancer of rot in the church than the gospel. And I love, and now he does it in a very von Balthasarian way. I would have done it in a different way. I still love the way he does it. Um, but he has this great line where he talks about how Christians must have seemed like insane to Romans because they held up the cross, spoke of it, and celebrated it. Um, St. Paul, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, they could only do this because they were utterly convinced that the resurrection had disempowered the cross and all that it entailed in the twisted world that had made it possible. If I dare to put it this way, they held it up as a kind of taunt. You think this frightens us? God is more powerful. Ooh, and you think about... That's good. Right? That is very and, Balthasarian. I know. And so I wrote in the margins, and this was like kind of like my reflection for the rest of the day, was... The Romans used the terror of the cross to intimidate and oppress foreign peoples. And God used that very cross to conquer Rome with the church, right? Like, how beautiful is it that on every Roman building above it is the cross? Their very sign of oppression. Like, it was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. That's why St. Paul had his head chopped off. It was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen because it was so horrific. And they're Romans already. Like, you don't need to, you know, utterly destroy their resolve. You just need to punish them as a criminal. Mm-hmm. But for foreigners, for barbarians, for non-Romans, we need to put the fear of Rome in all of them. And Christ took the cross and used it to conquer Rome. I love the beauty of, you know, I love the beauty of that, the asymmetrical warfare of the Son of God. That's, mm, that's one reason why, like, the whole, I mean... Sorry, we've got to stop, so I'll save that for... <laughs> we can't talk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
All right, guys. Well, this has been another episode of Catching Foxes. Hope you hated it. Uh, this was good, man. It's fun. Yeah, man. So next week, hopefully, hopefully next week. I'm not making promises, but WiffletreeFarmVA.com. Jesse Strait. It was a great story, conversion and farming. Uh, we're probably going to farm that episode out to next week. <laughs> <laughs> it's organic as shit. So thank you all for joining <laughs> us. Yeah, guys. Uh, thank you. And find us on CatchingFoxes.fm or at Patreon.com slash CF. Thank yeah, y'all. we're not responding to anyone's stuff on the social medias because I just don't have time. Sorry. I, I, I'm not on it at all anymore. So yeah. awesome. Yeah. All, right. all right. Adios, y'all. Bye. <laughs>